0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald.
1: I'm Ramia Amadon. And this is Kelly and Ramia.
2: Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Welcome, folks. Appreciate you being with us on a Wednesday edition of the program. Even though I did have to take an extra note at the top of that script here.
1: Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday.
2: Look! Look at the top there. Look at the date.
1: Oh, did I put it the wrong date?
2: But but you saved it as the thirteenth, even though the top of the script says the twelfth. And I thought, oh. what's going on here? I thought what I screwed it? up. It's
1: the twelfth. Oh, uh, I put it in thirteenth. Yeah, oh, but the th-
2: show okay. is the, the script says thirteenth.
1: Oh, jeez. It's okay. I know because,
2: what day it is myself. Well, it's okay. I had convinced myself it was the, hold on. Yeah, the 13th. Yesterday was the 11th, right? Danielle and yeah. I were here. You yesterday wasn't... I know it was the yeah. 11th. Okay. You know how
1: every day there's, well, every week there's probably something that you're looking forward to or that stands out in some way, which is what I base my dates around. So yesterday was my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, you. So I, I know the rest of the days, unless I get it wrong, on the script. <laughs> what it, it, it's supposed to be based on yesterday?
2: I think I have to go by days. I don't think I try to go by dates because I'm too. I'll always well, what day is the? Oh, the, uh, the fourth. But you'll the, remember
1: th- like oh, the Thursday is the thirteenth, so Wednesday is the twelfth. That kind well, of thing.
2: Well, when I was, I'll just know oh, a week from tomorrow. <laughs> or uh. something like that or, or this this coming saturday i i could not i get too confused otherwise when dates get in because then i start trying to mathematically figure oh it's in two weeks so that would be the um uh, the the and and it just ter- uh-huh. turns me right around uh back to the program for this week ramya amudan is joining us here on a wednesday And we've got a really good lineup for the show. We'll uh, tell you a little bit, too, about the book of the month. We'll talk about that in a sec. But first, first things first, coming up on today's program. When it comes to air travel, how can we get an improvement on our seats without paying extra money? Well, that sounds good. Margaret Weldon has that for us on In the Know shortly.
1: We're also talking to Jim Crisco. He's keeping us posted on a story about an older, retired farmer who's making life easier for a younger farmer with a disability by sharing some equipment, some specialized equipment. We'll learn more.
2: Oh, wow. That sounds really interesting. You don't have to wait long for that, folks. But. A subject that is very serious here in Ontario, talked about, and we're trying to figure this out. Why are emergency rooms across Ontario closing? Registered nurse Leslie DePoe gives us some background and perspective on the public health crisis in the province. We'll get to that in hour two of Kelly and Company. Authorities in California say they're going after illegal marijuana um, growers that are out there. Take a listen.
3: California's top prosecutor, Attorney General Rob Bonta, says the state will expand its seasonal marijuana eradication program and turn it into a year-round effort, with a multi-agency task force dubbed EPIC for the eradication and prevention of illicit cannabis. Bonta says illegal pot farms undercut the state's legal marijuana market, damage the environment, and that the workers left to tend the secret plots are frequently victims of human trafficking. There's a connection to criminal cartels. A California official with the Bureau of Land Management, which oversees millions of acres of federal lands, says eighty percent of the 44 illegal grow sites found on their properties this year were connected to drug trafficking organizations. Former federal prosecutor Nathan Hockman says the year-round approach is long since overdue and that only by hitting illegal drug growers where it hurts will California help the legal cannabis industry to thrive. I'm Jennifer King. So I
2: don't really, Ramya, when we look at this, I have no idea what is considered or what the legal, which state uh, what federal laws there are in the United States. So I'm not even going to going to speak to that. But I, I see over here as people start saying, well, it's legal in Canada. That'll cut down on the crime and illegal. Yeah, mm.
4: sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many conversations around this kind of thing, right? Will legislation make a difference? In accessibility, we talk about it all the time. Is it... Is it about the teeth? Is it about sinking into uh, people's, you know, standards of what needs to be done, that bottom line that somebody needs to draw so that things get happening? But does it really make a difference? And also, is it the right approach?
2: I mean, you know, the government's going to be all over it, whether it's state provincial, uh, you know, federal governments because they want their cut of whatever tax money they're getting. They've put this in place, and and like anything, they're going to profit on it. They're going to stomp out the illegal uh, as as much as they can. Like you say, is it, though, really going to make a difference? And I I don't know. I don't know how when there seems to be, in these places that have made it legal— there seems to be no way of stopping the illegal and people having their different reasons for needing to use in their viewpoint the illegal resources yeah. to get it. So yeah. I don't know. I just found that very interesting um, because it, to me it's that sh- head shaker of how and that is not why we legalized it, right? We, yeah. There are other reasons um, that, that medical and so on that the the reasoning is there for for it to be legalized. Um, I don't want to get too into that because I need you to do book club, but I do want to throw this at people. Microsoft is rolling out some new hardware today as it marks an anniversary.
0: It's been 10 years since Microsoft introduced its Surface line of hardware products, and today the company updated its flagship tablet and laptop. PC World's Mark Hockman says while the Surface Pro 9 and Surface Laptop 5 may look the same as last year's models, they do get new processors. Microsoft
5: tends to believe that they've got the design right in both of these products. And uh, they squeeze in what
0: they can inside and leave the
5: rest unchanged.
0: Meanwhile, the hefty 28-inch Surface Studio 2 Plus gets some graphics improvements. Mike Dubusky, ABC News. First
2: time I ever saw one of the Surfaces, I was just so amazed because they're so lightweight, so small. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on this? And d- Do you agree? Microsoft kind of stays in the weeds, doing its thing quietly, operating with confidence that this is the thing we don't need to improve on.
1: Well, if they weren't doing it that way, they're not going to let us know. You know, it's, it's got to be that um, there's always competition. There's always, hey, who one-upped or who created this innovation before the other end? Or did you improve upon the innovation that somebody else has already created? But we'll keep posted, and maybe one of our tech guys will get into it too.
2: Yeah, please. Uh, did I leave you enough time to run down yeah. very quickly to book of the month? Speaking of, of course. technology.
1: Exactly. It's called After Steve, How Apple Became a Trillion Dollar Company and Lost His Soul. So this is the title of the book of the month that we're going to be discussing, recommended by Stephen Scott of Double Tap. But the book is by Trip Mikkel, uh released in 2022. It's available in synthetic audio on SELA, Just an FYI, it is available on Audible also. It's from the Wall Street Journal's Trip Mickle, the dramatic untold story inside Apple after the passing of Steve Jobs. By following his top lieutenant's author, Trip Mickle spoke with more than 200 current and former Apple executives, including Trump administration officials, officials and fashion luminaries while writing after Steve. And Apple lost, he said... Its innovative spirit and has not designed a new category of device in years. Ive's departure in 2019 marked the culmination of Apple's shift from a company of innovation to one of operational excellence and the price is a company that has lost its soul. We're talking about it on October 25th, which is the last Tuesday of the month at 3.30 Eastern time with Stephen. Send us your thoughts, your feelings, your review of the book for us to add into our review. Uh, Feedback at ami.ca is how you can write to us. And 1-866-509-4545 is where you can send us an email or a voicemail.
2: We'll step aside for just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Reporter Grant Hardy, he joins us. Today, it's Wednesday. He's got the latest health headlines for us. We'll be right back. Remember, if you have some time, check out the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. You can like it. You can enjoy a bunch of content that's always put up there updated. That's the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. On Twitter, she's at AllRams. If you'd like to reach out to her, I'm at AMI Kelly Mac, And, of course, the handle for AMI-audio, at AMI-audio. Wherever you're listening in, thanks for being with us. Maybe you're at your computer listening in at AMI.ca, where the show is streamed via the AMI audio feed. So take a listen over there, especially if you're at your desk working and uh, working away the day as we're midweek right here on Kelly and Company, weekdays 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern for the live show. And now we welcome in reporter Grant Hardy, who joins us from Vancouver. Uh, Grant delivers to us some health-related items to talk about on the show, and Rum and I sit here and listen in and comment. Sometimes, right, Grant, if we have anything important to say?
0: Always. You guys always have great stuff to say.
2: Where are we starting, sir? And thank you. Mm
0: -hmm. And happy Wednesday to you guys. We are starting an article about health in the workplace. Uh, It is from Time Magazine. It's called Ambition is Out. Why some people are renouncing ambition in the workplace and what they're embracing instead. So it basically talks about a shift where people, you know, especially young people, are developing larger boundaries between their work lives and their personal ones to prevent burnout, and in some cases, actually do less at work. Uh, first came this phenomenon, the Great Resignation, where a bunch of people just quit their jobs. It does sound very privileged, but uh, a lot of people, uh, this was a thing, and uh, many surveys has also pointed to a sense of malaise and fatigue sweeping the workforce, apparently culminating in a common desire just to do less. Now, the idea of phoning it in at work is nothing new. Uh, The concept today uh, known as quiet quitting, which is basically staying at your job but doing the absolute bare minimum, has shown up in research uh, for decades. But still, research does suggest that uh, quiet quitting work rates, work attitudes, and employee engagement uh, are kind of at rock bottom right now. Uh, hourly and essential workers are not quitting because of angst about ambition. They're quitting because they don't want to work jobs that provide few benefits and barely pay the bills. That may help explain why workers at companies like Starbucks and Amazon are unionizing And uh, it is thought to be partially because of kind of a breakdown in the social safety net, where now, because of the pandemic, I also think maybe because of climate change and food security and inflation, people are realizing that this concept of sort of work hard and go to the top doesn't always build that safety net that we've imagined it does. what do you guys think about sort of this phenomenon of quiet quitting, you know, people sort of debate whether Gen Gen Z is going to be just lazy or whether they actually have sort of an advantage over some of the older generations just for having some more healthy boundaries.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's clear that there's a shift going on, whether or not you agree or acknowledge even or find yourself uh, shifting with is the the part that I'm curious about, Grant, because, I mean, I think it's quite obvious in my perspective that there are a lot of unhealthy workplace habits that we've built over the years, uh, like overworking, like not being able to set these boundaries, and simply because we want to feel like we're valued. And there's also... Uh, these excuses of like, that's just corporate culture, you know, people with higher paying jobs or in certain industries, you got to work, work, work. And that's the only way to, uh, to feel like you're, you're moving up um the ladder. And yeah, it's, it's something that we've talked a lot about with our friends from Robert Half and uh, what's Mm -hmm. actually going on there, how people like individuals, uh, Canadians are responding to these kinds of things like quiet quitting and why that is. But clearly, if we're talking about this being a phenomenon, that's because it's happening. So why is it happening? We're tired we're exhausted. I I also found
2: Grant's reaction to people quitting. Of course, we we have that, wow, oh boy. But I, I think there's a couple of things here that uh, I wonder, were people quitting their jobs after sitting at home um, during the pandemic, taking courses, realizing as they looked around online, I can do better for myself. I want to do better, whether it's better pay, not being in a hazardous uh, situation if they were thinking post-pandemic time, or when when we got back to, quote, real life, unquote, whatever way you want to say it, folks, whatever words you wish to use. And then the other thing is because the market is saying we're having trouble finding people, we're having trouble with people wanting to stay in jobs, it's almost like the shift became where you worried, like you said, about, uh, Ramya, pertaining people, not sure, oh, I go extra time, I don't know when to put my phone down Mm -hmm. because I've got to keep up with everybody else or else I'll be out of a job. Now it's almost like it's shifted to where... The cards are in the hands of the employees where, well, I'll just leave. You You need me. Well, hold on. It's going to be hard to replace me. Now people seem to have that, I don't want to do this work. I'm okay to go. And employers are, well, no, hold it, hold it. It's almost like we're we're able to hold them at bay that way and people have changed. And that fear has become more of something else other than losing your job. So I, I kind of wonder when it comes to that quiet quitting, when it comes to, how much more employers say, man, I I don't have any way to hold on to these people.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point is the market is shifting maybe a little bit in favor of the employee, not always, especially people, you know, with disabilities and minorities and other barriers. I think that um, there is also a little bit of a shift here. And, you know, we've always had this attitude of, you know, people who people who go, like, even when I'm sick, you know, I show up to work. That's yep. how good I am. You know, even when you guys are just doing stuff with your family, I'm going to, you know, work overtime. And I'm, exactly. I'm better. Even just checking the emails, things. right? Yeah. And and I think now people are finally sort of realizing, that, like, maybe that's not... I mean, everyone has sort of quietly been like, oh, man, I really don't want this sick person at work. We've always that for years but I I think now there's really this uh, shift in attitude
1: yeah like, it's there. <laughs> Don't come to work if you're sick, right? Or even <laughs> even uh, employers encouraging people, take time off, you know, allocate these uh, days off or loo time and check in with people. I think that these kind of things make such a big difference. Now, I do want to point to the pandemic as a time of reflection for myself. Uh, all these days of going through and prioritizing and understanding different, you know, values in my life uh, it did create circumstance for me where I said, oh, I'm going to start putting up, you know, work, not work boundaries Um, in that, like, am I closing the computer at 5 p.m. or am I staying late and how often is that happening, that kind of thing. And I'm not sure, but I assume that other people have gone through shifts like that simply because of all the days we had in the pandemic to mm-hmm. notice.
2: And I think people notice that there was a time before the internet, you left work and you weren't taking anything home. You didn't exactly. I take my typewriter. You may have a briefcase with notes and things like that, or something that you're going to look over. The most you could do is read, study, and, and, and take a book out of the library. It was not now where your boss could reach you unless they called you on the telephone mm-hmm. at, at, and, and said, listen, we've got a crisis. And that would be after someone had to call him or her.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the pandemic and working from home is a huge shift uh, in terms of boundaries.
2: Yeah. Grant, where um, do you want to go now, sir?
0: Yeah. So speaking of the pandemic, uh, I want to give a little booster update here. Health Canada has approved a second more up-to-date vaccine fight COVID-19. However, they are urging people to take the existing Moderna bivalent vaccine if that's what's available when your turn for the booster comes up. Last Friday, you probably heard Pfizer, BioNTech, uh, they approved the COVID 19 vaccine that targets the BA4 and BA5, I hope I'm saying that right, strains of the Omicron variant. Uh, while the earlier uh, Bi- Moderna bivalent vaccine is believed to be helpful against these strains, it was designed to combat the BA1 strain, which is a little less common now. Uh, but still, as I said, they are advising people not to wait and to take the first one. I do have a little bit of brand envy for people who are going to get the Pfizer one, but I decided to take <laughs> my booster and got my shot on uh, last Monday, like like they said to do. So uh, I, I know it takes a couple of weeks to sort of work its magic. Uh, so I'm already behind on, on that clock. Uh,
2: so a question. What do you guys uh, think? Would you Would you now, Grant, take a flu shot as well?
0: Yeah, I'm being a bit chicken about this, but uh, I think as soon as my arm stops being sore, I've actually, I will admit, I've <laughs> never gotten the flu shot before. Um, I know that's terrible. I've always been the first to get my COVID shot, but I've never gotten the flu shot. Mm-hmm. But this year, I am planning on doing that just because... You know, they say that COVID, you know, your chances of it being relatively mild if you've had that vaccine are high, uh, but the flu season I hear is going to be bad. So I guess it's kind of hypocritical to get one one shot and not the other. Mm -hmm.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I would. I mean, I've often got the flu shot because I, I sort of feel that, it's irresponsible not to, um, and and I, I've always been like that since I was a kid. That's that's what I've done. Gone oh, to the, it's time really for smart. your flu shot, you know, and we've always done that. Um, the vaccine, of course, all have concerns, and who who knows? And especially at first, now it's just the thing to do, and it makes seems to make sense. Whether and then they say this with the flu shot, you know, you can only cover so many strains of either or, and we can just do yeah. what, what we can do, Rum.
1: Well, I was going to say, I think that speaks to how many people are feeling about the responsibility aspect, Kels, that you mentioned uh, in terms of even if you like I was give or take getting the flu shot. Not every year, though. Definitely not. Sometimes I'm like, yeah. oh, looks like I missed a season. Yeah, me uh, too. but fingers me crossed too. I didn't get sick. Yeah. But now with COVID and with vaccines being not only top of mind, but just spread the word everywhere you go you're you're being encouraged to take the shot everything you like if you're calling a shopper's drug mart they're reminding you right heads up we have the vaccines here or the availability or the test kits and um even just like every day as i hear more people are uh either not feeling well or about to get sick because somebody else is sick around them it just feels like it's being talked about all the time and so i feel and hopefully the stats um agree that more people will be conscious about taking the flu shot taking the boosters continuing to be vaccine conscious
2: and giving people space let's quit these workplaces where you know there's enough space to put 20 people in here well let's put 30 like no no let's not (laughs) say we did let's Let's put 10 right (laughs) like you know and if we can avoid it let's let's put five it's one of those things that uh, you really hope that we've Learned permanent kind of things, and and I know that's probably ridiculous because probably a hundred years ago they were saying the same things as they were moving their desks closer and closer to each other, post the 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 uh, influenza. Wonderful, Grant. Excellent stuff, man.
0: You guys are really good. You, you've successfully shamed me into getting the, the blue shot. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, kidding,
2: and hopefully no, you've but, convinced oh. some people out here to
0: go out and get their COVID one too. Say, yes.
2: oh, I better check to right. see when I last did. Or or maybe I better get it for the first time for those that are comfortable. And that's the other thing. I really try hard not to say much to people. Because it's I don't want to a long to be... way, though. Yeah, we have. And and I think way. people really have and our fears, which is what makes us like I'm not gonna do that. I don't know what that's gonna do to me. And there's always going to be an element of that with anything. Thank you, sir.
0: Oh yeah. All right, folks. Thanks.
2: Reporter Grant Hardy joins us. He'll be back a little later on in the program. We'll talk to him as we get into what in the world uh here on Kelly and Company. But he joins us on Wednesdays to talk health headlines. Coming up in just a few moments, ladies and gentlemen, thinking of, since we're talking about COVID shots and stuff like that, well, when it comes to air travel, how can we get an improvement on our seats without paying extra money? Well, I'm all about knowing that kind of information. Margaret Weldon answers that question on In the Know in two minutes. to AMI-audio right from your TV. Rogers Mountain customers. Guys, you can find us on channel 889. And Eastlink, look for us over on channel 887, folks. That's where you'll find us. Uh, visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Ramya Amuthan and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program. I'm looking here. See, I'm sitting here correcting myself as many times as you do these. Eastlink customers, Eight hundred and eighty-seven channel eight hundred. Like you think I do these a thousand times,
4: and but in don't my and don't.
2: As, soon, as soon as I hear say it, I hear in my head, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess I'm wrong. So go back and check it. It's uh, a lot of back going back and checking, but long mm. as you catch yourself, right?
1: It's still numbers, man. I, I can't do it. I Can't <laughs> even remember my own channels. Um,
2: oh. when phone numbers were seven digits, long before uh, you were around. You sure. two, Ryman, no, I you remember. Two Ryman. Nah, you and no, Ryman we, don't do. we do, we do. Seven-digit phone numbers before they they said going to be ten-digit all the time. Yeah. I could remember numbers, and and I remember hearing that's because our brains were slotted for that. You threw ten digits in, even though, thank goodness, it was always you know five one nine four one six out in this uh-huh. part of Canada, folks. Um I was lost, and even you know, I just couldn't bother. And then you throw a smart device in, where you can just keep every a phone number becomes a person's name, (laughs) and it's just a joke for me now. Wow, Mm -hmm. I know one of these other uh, old duffers too that has the same problem. Hello, Weldon. Let's bring Margaret Weldon in for uh, in the know, folks here on uh...
3: life's continuing changes can lead to a lot of questions. Join me, Margaret Weldon, to get your answers, and then you too will be in the know.
2: Think about that, Mike, the days of seven-digit digits, seven-digit numbers?
3: Yes, and and, you know, I have an interesting fact for you that uh, at one point in time, but it's not the case anymore, Brantford, Ontario had every phone number when it used to be seven digits, beginning with 75. So you could have 753, 759, 756, 752. But every Brantford number began with seven five.
2: But 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 a lot of towns were like that, right? They they, they um <laughs> Ilderton out here outside of London, I'm not sure if it's still this way, but theirs were all six six six. But I it yeah, all I, depends I, on the size, right? Like if a yeah. if a town's big enough, they'll start like they started with that. Um but you know, it, it, it's it's really kind of kind of funny.
3: And then even before that, during the war, um if you wanted to call a certain area, like uh, if you want to call somewhere in Toronto, let's say, like a specific person, you'd say, um, you'd phone into the operator, and you'd say, operator, please get me, let's say, Lennox 3633, just for argument's sake. So you'd say the word as opposed to an area code.
2: Okay, gotcha. You that,
3: did you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Well... What are you yeah. here for, mate? <laughs> it's because oh, I, I threw know, it's because I threw Rummy off, right? I, I was like sitting here, like, oh yeah. Well, so so Margaret, maybe I should tell you the holidays are coming and the long winter season is ahead. For some people, this means that their hearts and minds have turned to travel. But like everything else, like food, it's expensive. You're going to share some tip, tips with, with us about booking our flights. And, Mags, you even are going to reveal some secrets. We love all this. How to upgrade our seats without paying extra money. Well, I am. Well, yep. when it comes to booking a flight, what do we need to consider right off the bat?
3: Okay. So when it comes to booking a flight, and who knows? you know, Maybe, maybe you might decide to pay the extra cash and get the uh, upgraded seat regardless. But anyways... When it comes to booking a flight you need to think about uh what trip you're taking right and then you need to think about the length of the trip you know is it going to be four hours long is it going to be 26 hours long um you know that that kind of thing the other thing is that you might be out you might want to think about who's going with you are you going by yourself are you going with a group of friends are you going you know with a partner And these kinds of thoughts can maybe help you determine the type of seat you'd like to get, right? So let's suppose you have a flight that's 26 hours long. Maybe you don't want to sit up in a seat for all that time. Maybe you want to get the pod and stretch out, you know, on the bed. And if you've got a little baby with you, you know, maybe the baby can lay in the bassinet and the the washroom's close by or whatever, right? right? So those are things that you want to think about first. And then once you've determined that, then you would speak with either your travel agent, if you're booking through a travel agent or, you know, you can look up things online or contact the airline you think you're going to use and let them know what you're looking for and then go from <laughs> that point. So that's some of the first things that maybe
1: you should uh, think about. Um, yeah, a lot of things to consider on your own end. Sorry, was there one? Yes. Uh,
3: yes. Just uh, just one thing. You also might want to think about the budget as well, right? Because maybe when you go on your trip, maybe you're going to want to stay in a hotel. You're going to want to take in a lot of sites, or you're, you know, maybe you're going to, fam- to visit family and friends, and in that case, you're staying with them. So that also plays into effect as well.
1: So yes. those are your your first things. Yeah. Nowadays, too, you can book so many combinations of things: flight and hotel, train and stay, that kind of stuff. So uh, it, it does help to budget and consider your options that way. So, Margaret, when it comes to choosing the airline, what's the policy that we may want to think about?
3: Okay, I was surprised when I heard this too. But you know how some aircrafts, and we'll get into that detail a little bit uh, in a few minutes, but some aircrafts you know, have have rows of seats that are maybe in threes, right? Yep. So apparently now, and a lot of people don't like to sit in the middle seat to begin with, and there's others who really are concerned about somebody they don't know sitting in the middle seat because of COVID and one thing or another. So some airlines now are allowing people to purchase the middle seat as well as, you know, their own seat that they're going to sit in at a discounted price. Not all airlines do, but some do. So if you're thinking that maybe you don't want to be that close to a person, you need to check out what airlines, number one, you know, fly to and from your chosen destination. And number two, you want to purchase that middle seat at a discount price.
2: Hmm. So to do some of that, Megs, is that one of the reasons you'd put into a category of being familiar with that airplane? Like, why why is it important to actually be familiar with it, uh, the ones that you, the one you'll be flying
3: on? Okay, this is a great question. So, you know what? The, as you probably have guessed, there's a lot of different types of aircrafts out there. I think there's over like two thousand plus or something out there, types right? Types of and Wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, each one is different. So what that means is maybe, you know, one one type of aircraft offers more leg room than another type of aircraft. Or maybe you get the top of the line, you know, package and you get on the plane and you find out, wait a minute, I took the top of the line package last time on this, you know, on in this airline. But this time, you know, I paid the same price or a bit more and I'm getting less room. Why is that? Right. And that's just because of the different designs of the uh aircrafts so that's another reason why you'd want to know uh, what your aircraft is going to be like how the seats are placed how many you know how many rows um you know the type of legroom, whatever it is that you're you're looking to find yeah out.
2: like i mean constant okay. travelers especially people doing business they've got this stuff down to a science because of the they, they generally i would think are pretty familiar and use re- the the same care you know two or three carriers if when possible
3: Yes, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, and that's what I mean. So, the all these things you you need to be you know checking out ahead of time.
1: Sure. Yeah, and considering why that's important. So, how can people find out about the different airlines that you'll be going using to go to and from your destination and the differences that you talked about amongst the airplanes? Okay, there's an app out there, and I checked it out
3: myself because it was the first time I learned about it. Called Seat Guru. Right. Com, oh, right? Yes. And uh, you will be able to find that on the Kelly and Company blog. So number one, it tells you, uh, it, it describes over again, this 2000 plus aircrafts, and it tells you where the seats are placed, how the craft is set up. Um, it'll also give you the opportunity to compare airline fares. You can also find deals on rent cars and that kind of thing. So, yeah, if you want to know more about the aircrafts that are going to be flying, you might want to check out this app. And you know what, guys? Best of all, it's very accessible. Awesome. Great. That's what we because want to hear. Because
1: that's not true for every uh, experience that you have trying to find seats, you know. Like, right. I've been right. on when you download the apps for your associated airline and things like that. And then they say, Hey, choose a seat. And I go, I'd love to, but this is not accessible.
2: So (laughs) great. (laughs) So explain that Megs, once you've booked your flight with the airline, why is it important to download that particular airlines app? I mean, again, like Ramya says, you could run into these other issues, but what's the important reasons if you can access.
3: If you download a particular airlines app, You will be uh, among the first passengers to find out whether, you know, the uh, airline is going to, whether the flight's going to be delayed, whether it's going to go early. Um, Some, you can even find out, and I didn't realize how um, impossible, how um, frequent this happens, but apparently sometimes flights, you know, say they're going to take off or arrive at a certain gate and, you know, the gates are numbered, but some quite often they change the number of mm -hmm. the gate, right? And so if you're waiting and they call your flight and then you go to the gate, you thought it was like you could either wind up missing the flight or getting lost or whatever. Right. So this way, if you download the app, you'll learn about the delays. You'll also learn about the gate changes if they're, you know, if if it changes the gate number or whatever the case is. So yeah,
1: yeah. And it's, it's important to know. The options are pretty standard now where you can get email notifications or uh, text message notifications. They'll bombard you in any way possible to let you know and clearly communicate that things have changed about your flight. But the only way to do that is to get in on that information, go into the apps and keep your fingers crossed that they are accessible. I know that Air Canada is accessible. I can't speak to any other ones so far. So, Margaret, you want to get into the question that everyone's um anticipating, which is when it comes to traveling on an airplane, how can we get this improved experience on our seats without paying the extra dough?
3: Okay, so uh, there's a there's a couple of ways to do this. Um, number one, um, the air miles. Like if you if you you know do the air miles and um, maybe you put air miles towards the seat as well as the cash, right? So that maybe mm-hmm. even though you've booked economy, maybe you're going to get the deluxe because of the air miles you have. But, you know, in some cases, when you go and check in, some flights aren't always totally full. So you can always ask whoever it is that's checking you in at the airport or at your airline on the particular day that you are flying. I'm going to say that again, on the particular day that you are flying. So, you know, you may not get this ahead of time, Um, you can ask them, are there any um, upgraded seats available? And if so, you know, can I get it for for nothing or, you know, and most, and sometimes you can, sometimes they will upgrade you and they won't charge you anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing
2: because you've got so much, and I know a lot of times they'll say, oh, the plane's oversold. It's oversold, you know, and a lot, but uh, unfortunately, a lot of times people do change things and things get a little askew and those seats become available.
3: Yes, and you can also put yourself on a standby list too, in in some cases, right? So when you're booking your flight, they might say, "Okay, do you want to go on a standby list to see if any seats do come available?" Right? No, i so, a
2: sit by list, but the,
3: yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's it, right? So I mean, it's 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 all of these things that you can do, um, just you know, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Or like I say, you know, maybe. You know, certain comforts are a priority on a flight for you, and maybe you do pay the extra cash to make sure you get it. But I if um,
2: people are screaming ways. at you now for saying, stop telling all the secrets. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Megs, where can people go to learn more about today's topic and other travel tips like that?
3: Okay. Um, so the one place you can go to is um like I've is uh, called the um Seek guru, which is seekguru.com. And um, the other uh, place where you can go, and I don't know how many people have heard have heard her before, is Natalie Petty. She is a travel expert, TV, you know, and TV writer. And you can go to nattyponline.com. So that's n-a-d-y-p-online.com. And these two um, apps are also on the Kelly and Company blog it, itself, right? Okay. And uh, Natalie will, will not only give you tips for flying, but she could give you tips for taking the train or picking hotels or anything nice. like that. And her website Super. is quite accessible, too.
2: That's awesome. That's really great, Megs. ami.ca slash Co. Margaret, great work. Thank you very much for uh, squealing all that information. I hope, I'm sure the airlines will appreciate it. Not a problem. Have a good afternoon, guys. Enjoy the show. Margaret Weldon joins us uh, every other Wednesday for In the Know, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Kelly and Company. Uh, More programming ahead here on the show, folks. A retired farmer in Saskatchewan uh, actually provided specialized equipment for a younger farmer with a disability. Jim Crisco, he's here in a couple of moments to fill us in on that story. take us with you if you got to go out download TuneIn radio the radio player canada app. awesome apps in which to have on your smart device some of you out there listen to us using a victor reader stream hey no matter what always love that you're there and appreciate it wherever you're listening in around the world tune in radio radio player canada a couple of great apps for your smart device in which to take in kelly and company Ramya muthan kelly mcdonald host of the program
1: all right. Well, on Wednesdays and Fridays we check in with our content development specialists here at AMI and we're going over to Edmonton to check in with Jim Crisco. Jim, you got a bunch of stories for us. How's it going?
5: It's going well. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing great. Thank you so much. And um you're here to keep us posted on what happens in your neck of the woods, but maybe we'll start in Manitoba because an Ohi Cree rapper has won Canada's Walk of Fame Emerging Artist Grand Prize. That's a mouthful. So, bring us up to speed on the story and what this prize is, and all of that.
5: Okay, I certainly will. And I, I was a little coy in the in writing the introduction for this because I know that many AMI uh, viewers and listeners, and uh, Kelly himself, and and perhaps you, Remya, know who this this uh, performer is. I, I do say Kelly because Kelly, you interv- interviewed him at least once uh, back in Winnipeg. The the uh, the performer from Garden Hill First Nation is Matthew Manias, uh, also known as mm-hmm. Matt Mac. So uh, he's a super talented um, uh, rapper, and uh, and you know, uh, as you know, Rami, I, I'm probably not of the age that that this <laughs> music was aimed at. Uh, But I thoroughly enjoy it. Like he is just such a talented, talented young man. And, uh, and it's, it's so exciting that he won this award. He, um, uh, he ended up being, he is the grand prize winner. Uh, and it's at the Canada's walk of fame. Um, what is it? The, the Canada's walk of fame, RBC emerging musician program. So, uh, so great work by, by Matthew, Uh, If, if you're, um, uh, you know, uh, an AMI audience member, we did do a documentary uh, on Matthew a few years ago. You can look it up on our website or on our, um, on our app. And in that documentary, he performs with Nelly Furtado at uh, Indigenous Day Live in, in, in Winnipeg. And if you, what some people might not know behind the scenes on that one is that was totally unplanned. They were mm-hmm. filming the docu doc on matthew and uh and Nelly recognized him because it'd heard his song uh earlier that week, and they ended up performing together, so totally unplanned
2: yeah, it was really an interesting time because we were at soundcheck um the night before doing our setup. To do our show from the Forks up there in, well, out there in, in Winnipeg, and this uh, with Matthew, uh, and again, spent some time with Matthew, and you know, before and when we were doing the show, it was really, really cool. And the and the crew, James, that you guys had going around and uh, doing some, you know, as you put together the documentary, and that Nelly Fatado bit right on the end was just, I, what do you want to say, icing on the cake? It was tremendous, and they were both so impressed with each other's work.
5: Absolutely, and I give Matthew because he was—he was, he was uh, you know, a young man uh, then. This was 2016, uh, so he was younger then, and um, uh, he had to be a little bit, you know, I think a little bit calmed down to go up on stage. But he did such a fantastic job once he was on stage. You could not tell he was nervous. He just mm. performed extremely well. It's like he, you know, did it every night and was just totally used to it. Um so at that point you kind of see star quality in people like that and you see that that you know he has uh, just the talent and potential to go so far and uh he's he certainly is moving in that direction. Yeah. And Rami, obviously you could the see recognition he was right in his there. element, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah and I, I remember that interview I remember that day actually and it was really amazing to hear um his performance just his love for hip hop uh and and of course, his own experiences and things like that, and the representation there. But the recognition coming back to the prize uh, by RBC. First of all, I'm loving the the prize in and of itself, what it represents, emerging artists, um, you know, showing a lot of Canadian love out there. It's fantastic. Uh,
5: absolutely, and and one thing that you know, you, you take a look at the time frame on this. You know, he he really started to to make waves in 2016, even a little earlier than that. Uh, 2022 he's getting recognized uh, as an emerging artist so you you really have to stick it out right like you, you oh, have yeah. to be passionate about your dream and and keep going because it doesn't happen overnight it happens mm-hmm. over a period of time
2: yeah and we've talked on the show about how do people get out there how do they get to do workshops how do they get mentors especially living in more isolated places and what he was able to do with the support of his community and, and, and people, um, you know, he'd be the first to say, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not here alone, but he certainly had the talent to shout out no matter where he'd be on the planet. You'd, you'd know this guy and his, his abilities. Uh, Jim, over to Saskatchewan, where recent, uh, re- recently uh, a retired farmer helped another young farmer who has a, a disability with some specialized equipment. What did he give
5: him? this is such a nice story. Uh, Kelly and Ramya, this is, this, to me, this story is, it it encapsulates, you know, Canada, it it encapsulates the prairies, the farming community who is so important to us and so close knit. Um, what happened was there's a, uh, a retired Saskatchewan farmer. His name is Merle, uh, Malin. And, uh, he saw a story on a, a young man named Levi Jameson, and Lee, Levi, uh, he wants his goal is to take over the family farm, but a, about a, two years ago, I think in junior high, actually, he was in a car accident and he lost the use of his legs. He's a wheelchair user now. Merle is a has been a wheelchair user for about thirty years, and he saw this story of Levi wanting to take over the family farm as as happens very, very often is, you know, farms are generationally passed down and, and children take up the work of the parents. And, uh, and he was, he was struggling a bit because, you know, if you see the modern farm equipment nowadays, it is, you know, the, I'm sure it's got, it has to be 10 or 12 feet up to get into oh, yeah. some of the, the combines and some of the bigger equipment onto the tractors, etc. So Uh, Merle had this piece of equipment it's a lift and it's you it uh, to describe it you're you basically sit in a chair and out of the back of a pickup truck and it has an arm that lifts you up to the height of the equipment so that you can transfer over into the equipment it's very specialized uh and and very very helpful and Merle hadn't had to use it for a, a number of years he's retired now uh he got it when he was 30 years ago when, you know, his children were, were too young to help him into the equipment, etc. So he thought maybe Levi could use this. And he, through the, you know, the story that he saw in the newspaper, he get, he ended up reaching out to Levi. And this is life-changing for, yeah. for Levi, potentially. It it helps him to actually farm the family farm.
2: Yeah, you know, I always say uh, it, it's wonderful. It, great. You know, the person helps out, says, listen, I, I'm no longer using this, needing this. Go ahead. And I think sometimes what people figure, oh, that's really helpful. Now the guy can do it himself. But it's the empowering. It's that feeling of, I don't need to bother somebody else, you know, I'm not sure of the fool with, with, the, with the disability um, and being able to get over and how much he is able to do totally himself with this. But we know once he's lifted up and gets in, man, he's on his own to take care of his fields.
5: Absolutely. And, and you know, the interesting, one of the really great parts of this story is, that, you know, they're interviewing Levi and his, his goal from childhood was that he was taking over the family farm. He was going to be a farmer. That's what he wanted to be. After he had his accident uh, he did not lose that dream. It was, it it shifted into how am I going to do this? That's right. But he didn't stop saying, well, that dream's done. I'm going to move on to something else. He, he knew that that was what he wanted to continue to do. So when you look at, at adaptations like this and, you know the selfishness of of Merle and 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 the the, the friendliness of that that gesture. Uh, this is going to give him that leg up to be able to to actually you know continue this dream and and fulfill it.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the most horrible things, right? We love that we can dream. We love that we can strive to make those dreams come true. And in the, in the cases where a dream actually cannot be fulfilled because of something like that or 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 some m- m- miscarriage. Um, it's to me, it's the worst thing. It's the it's the absolute when you actually have no way to turn, and a dream actually does disappear. So any means to have a dream happen is wonderful. Um, it, it really is.
1: Mm-hmm. Jim, Absolutely. Move it to our final story for today. Still staying in Saskatchewan, uh, some Regina parks are going to be installing communication panels. So tell us what the panels are, firstly, and what parks will be getting them.
5: All right, yeah, the panels uh, are, are, this is, tech, well, technology, this is a, a system, I guess, developed back in 1985 in the United States. It's called uh, Picture Exchange Communication System, P-E-C-S. And what it does is it allows nonverbal individuals or people experiencing disabilities to share their needs or wants while using the park amenities. So what it is is it's basically picture panels that are also, I believe, tactile. Um, you can definitely touch them, and uh, it allows them. the The panels correspond with the activities and features of the playground and the surrounding area, and they're placed on the ground or, or within arm's reach of as many people as possible, so that they can be pointed at, pointed at or touched, and allows the 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 person to interact um, uh, with the caregivers or or with the folks that are accompanying them to be able to participate in the in the in in the area in the surrounding sort of amenities and um the three parks that they're going into uh so people are aware gawky park uh less sherman park and regent park and uh so they'll be installed in those um shortly and really they're they're really very very good communication tools out there and uh and you know, the, the fact that they're being provided to these parks, that's going to open up the, the use, usefulness of the parks to, to many more people now.
1: Yes, of course, and the inclusivity in parks are so important uh, because it's playtime, it's socializing. There's so many skills that we learn consciously and unconsciously through these experiences. Jim, thank you for all the stories.
5: Thank you, guys. Have a great week.
1: Thank you. You as well. Jim Crisco joining us. He's our content development specialist in Central Canada, joining us from Edmonton. And of course, you can look forward to these reports Wednesdays and Fridays.
2: Folks, we've got another hour of Kelly and Company ahead in that hour of the program. We want to talk a bit about the reason for why are emergency rooms in Ontario closing. This is a severe issue going on. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe gives us some background and perspective on the public health crisis in the province. We flip through some quirky stories from around the globe when Grant Hardy returns to the show. But up next, it's the Wednesday edition of The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. We'll be right back. If you would settle on back with Ramya Muthan and I, we are here for Kelly and Company's second hour of the day. You can catch the repeat of the program, by the way, at 10 p.m. Eastern time, 6 a.m. Eastern. If you want to catch it uh, on one of the repeats, otherwise we're live here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern every day with so much great talk and conversation. Thank you wherever you are listening into the program. Uh, Wednesdays through Fridays, Rum, we bring in Bill Shackleton. Bill, of course, over at AMI Audio Producer. And he brings to us a variety of subjects, some um, items that he pulls out and says, Hey, guys, let's talk about this. We call this podcast that comes out on the first Saturday of the month that people can find through AMI Exclusives. Take a listen to that. Uh, just a compilation of some of the things we speak of. You know what, Billy? Back in the day, they would turn you know maybe one a year of those into an album. You could buy the Best of the Buzz at Kmart. That was years ago, right? Yeah, now it's on CD. Yeah, now you just (laughs) illegally download it from YouTube or somewhere, things like that.
1: Uh, Yeah, YouTube MP3. (laughs) That's
4: right. Uh, Where are we starting, Shaq? Well, let's talk about this one. Sex education icon Sue Johansson is back. New documentary um, reveals her... Life and legacy. Now, um, if you grew up in the late 1990s to mid 2000s, you know who Sue Johansson is because she's 92. She's still wasn't
2: that earlier, uh, Bill? What, wouldn't she like 80s, 90s? Like I don't know when she started. I don't. I don't really know. Um, yeah, because it was quite a quite a lengthy time that that, yeah, uh, uh, that she was on radio.
4: Yeah, she was on. Yeah. Um, but the article did say in the in the late 1990s, but I don't know, maybe wow, it was earlier. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. She revolutionized the way we talk about sex. And she had a, a show that ran um, on. It was a Sunday night sex show. And yeah, you're, I don't know when it actually ran, but it was on TV and it was on, I believe it was well, it was several radio stations I think Chum FM may have added, or maybe Q107. But essentially, people would phone in and talk about, you know, some of their problems they were having. And she talked about, well, basically, nothing was off the table. She talked about toys and positions and all this sort of thing, sex, health, and she was her. She had a, a really razor sharp sense of humor. But if you told her, if you had, you know, I, I can you imagine phoning in and saying, uh, "I got this problem, whatever." But it, if you did phone in, she made no but bo- she would tell you what I mean. She w- she wouldn't make fun of you. She didn't care who you were, what your problem was, or whatever your issue you were having. She either pointed you in the right direction, um, um, or she would tell you, you know, what to advise you, what to do about these things. And and kind
2: of she was also, uh, I think at the time, was it Dr. Ruth was the other one that did oh, yeah, a similar yeah, kind yeah, of talk yeah, show? Yeah, uh, yeah. then went to television, they had these things on TV, and they they took it, they they took it serious. Because, of course, you're going to have people calling in to be funny. And, but they had to assume if you're going to talk, you've got to have your credibility. You've got to answer questions properly um, and reasonably and tastefully. You, you know, Some of the stuff was where some people would definitely say, "That's why, why is this even on? And, of course, having it on later uh, in the evening and overnight kind of thing. But I think that was what they had to work with Really being serious, there was no capering and being silly, right? If people started being oh, silly, they were hung up on.
4: Oh yeah, no, no, they It was a serious thing, and it started out small, and then everybody knew. Americans tuned into it, and it was she was the whole. She was in North America. She was very, very popular, and you got to remember one thing: is that you know a lot of people got their edu- sex education from her because they didn't go to their parents. A lot of people didn't feel comfortable uh, in school. And it was just her personality and the way she, you know, talked about it. And even some of the things she talked about on the show made the producers cringe. But
2: yeah. Yeah. It it was... but, Bill, I go back to, and again, I, I don't want to sit here and pretend I'm some expert on on, the, on her show, Dr. Root's show. I, I certainly, you know, can't, I can't tell you, oh, everything that was talked about on there was tastefully. They knew what they're talking I don't know that. I, I, I knew it wasn't, it did not seem to be treated like a joke or like just for shock value radio or anything that, that to me, to me anyway, is, is really tasteless and classless.
4: Yeah, Um. Well, the documentary, actually her daughter, um, has had, co- had conversations with Sue on video and she met up with the, um, um, uh, you know, a production lady who decided that they both decided to do this collaboration and it's going to be, I believe it's today on W or it's going to be preview, previewed either yesterday or today. A, a great story. I mean... I mean, I remember listening to the show, you know, and and people would phone in and it was like amazing that you would admit to some of these things. But, yeah, I mean, you got a straight answer.
2: Well, Mm. and you had to deal with the fact that, let's be fair, young people, most people being uncomfortable with it. It was a joke to most people. And unless you were that person, and a lot of time it was relationship, you know, questions, I'm assuming. Yeah. And what, what, you know, what people really did want a serious answer. And you still had, you know, the people playing, you know, joking around and calling in and they'd get rid of those. But even ourselves, you know, you kind of like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, listening to it. Oh, 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 this is a lot for me to hear, you know, kind of thing. But it was her, these ladies trying to answer honest to goodness questions
4: yeah i agree
1: plus now you can find this kind of conversation like if you look for it you can find it anywhere Right. I mean, I won't get into the the disability representation of it. But generically speaking, if you wanted to uh, to hear these kind of, you know, controversial or not talked about like this late night conversation type thing, there are podcasts. There's, uh, you know, people who are like I'm trying to think of Dan Savage is a, a great icon who talks about all kinds of things sex and and the Sunday Night Health show like all kinds of things but if you're talking about when Sue was bringing this stuff up it wasn't normal podcasting about sex was not normal that wasn't even around you know that so the time of it historically um was a pretty pretty interesting time to be featuring in this doc
4: well, I mean, was there the internet back then? I mean, I remember when there wasn't. And and yeah, yeah that it was the only way that, uh, yeah, that's right. Nice. Yeah, very interesting.
2: I think we can squeeze one in quickly, Bill.
4: Yeah, I think we can too. Um, New Zealand um, is proposing a law that would tax farms, basically tax animals who... Burp and whatever, for, because of the methane gas. So farmers are screaming because, of course, you know. I mean, you're taxing my animals for the ideas they're 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 contributing to uh, global warming. Right. <clears throat> so New Zealand wants to tax. I don't know how they're going to do it. The article didn't say how you're going to tax the by animal, how big the farm is. Apparently this is the second time they've tried this. <clears throat> I don't think it's going to go anywhere.
2: Um, that's basically like claiming or or saying we'll take an average <laughs> of, you know, release <clears throat> or amount released into yeah. the per animal, into the environment yeah. per day and tax you per animal on, on that. And it just seems, well, obviously we're going to say it's weird and, um, how do you do that? How do you do it fairly? And why yeah. are you hitting farmers? That's the you that know concerns
4: me too. Yeah, well,
2: like why?
4: Well, because according to the article, they, they the methane gas they produce. But there's um, other things the
2: that you want to cut back or people to change, like manufacturers change something that maybe was uh, you know, uh we're using on farms or something like that. Okay, or or there's so many other places you would you could hit and simply by changing a product that's used to do something, then something like this. Yeah, wow. it's, it's a little,
4: I think it's a little silly, quite frankly. Well,
2: yeah, like, is it the industry itself you're attacking? I, and that's what, you know, it just seems, yeah. I, I just don't know how you zero in on something like that <laughs> and sure. say, well, these particular animals in the world, uh, we're going to fix them for their emissions. Like, like yeah. Yeah, come on, and taxing? So, and what are you going to do if it goes too far and, and ranchers and farmers say, well, that's fine. I just won't have beef. I'll stick yeah. with chickens, pigs, and other, you know, other, uh, well, then we'll tax them too. Well, then I'll go, ve- you know, to vegetables. So, you know, to, to make my living, what, what happens if it starts working the other way? Yeah. yeah. And like then we get know- a road shortage
1: we know that every part of the conversation is significant, right? Like when we're talking about climate change, we know that everything counts. And so let's consider everything. But the, the first thing you said, which is what popped into my head too, Kels, why are we attacking farmers? And it may not be an attack. It just feels like it because our farmers uh, have so much to to consider as challenges already on top of being taxed for this and that. Like, come on.
2: I, it's just, and again, I know we're talking what we're talking, and I know there's other, you know, costs associated, whether it's manure, other things that we may say, oh, going to talk about that? That's just weird. That's, why would they go after that? And I, I get that. I get there's an honest uh, a concern. I just think that there's other ways to deal with it. And maybe a tax isn't the issue. If you're concerned about the, the warming, then, you know, and that's what you're basically saying, well, we need less cattle. We need less business. Well, you're happy to take the taxes off of whatever cows are sold, you know, at market. So mm-hmm. interesting, interesting, interesting to see where this goes. And as you say, Bill, they tried this before and it got struck down. So, yeah, um, and I would imagine the same kinds of arguments will we'll, we'll go there and plus others. Talk to you tomorrow, pal. Talk to you tomorrow. Bill Shackleton, we do this segment Wednesdays through Fridays at the top of our second hour. We call it The Buzz buzz, where we get into some pretty interesting conversations today and interesting for sure today on the program. Uh, Always nice what Bill brings. He compiles the stuff and we we chat with him. Coming up next, folks, why are emergency rooms closing across Ontario? Registered nurse Leslie DePoe gives us background and perspective on the public health crisis in the province. We'll talk to her momentarily on Kelly and Company. Welcome back to the program, Ramya Amuthan, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of the show. Thank you for being with us. And I want to remind you to check out the Kelly & Company podcast. You simply can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly & Company podcast experience. Jeff Ryman today providing our audio vanity card at the end of the full show podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform to Kelly & Company. As I mentioned, my co-host, Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald here.
1: Well, we're going to get into a lot of interesting conversation shortly here. Let's bring on our registered nurse Leslie
6: DePo. I'm Leslie DePo, registered nurse. Until I got into healthcare, I didn't realize how many people around me had questions about taking care of their own health. So I'm really happy to share some of those answers with you. Join me for the monthly health check-in and we'll talk about everyday questions about everyday health.
1: Leslie, we're going to fire off as many questions as we can in this short amount of time with you. Uh, But really what we're trying to get into is the breadth of the public health crisis that we're in the midst of here in Ontario. Uh, There are other places as well, but we're going to narrow it down and talk about the scope in Ontario. So let's start with the background. So we know that emergency rooms are closing. There's uh, stuff all over the news for people to check out across the province. Does this crisis Go beyond the emergency rooms, you know, shortage of family doctors, other things like that, and want to get your perspective on where this leaves
6: patients. For sure. So, I mean, as you say, a lot to cram in here in a short amount of time. So, we're going to do a quick mm-hmm. history lesson first. Um, and we're going to talk about the Canadian healthcare system and specifically the Canadian Healthcare Act. So, most people, when they talk about Canada's free healthcare, it's as though it's a federal entity, which technically, yes, but healthcare is actually controlled by the provinces. So, the Canadian Healthcare Act is a federal legislation for publicly funded healthcare insurance, but it's to ensure that every eligible resident has reasonable access to insured health services and that without direct charges and it's, it's really based on five principles public administration comprehensiveness universality portability and accessibility but when it comes to actually fulfilling the CHA that is up to the province so the first big misnomer is this universality what's covered in one province for example you know speech language pathologists access to certain drugs is not covered by the next province okay it varies really very greatly across the province as you go so the first thing to understand is that you thought it was universal it actually isn't. So when we look at what's happening in our province, this closing of emergency rooms, this lack of beds, which I'm going to get to because it's not a lack of furniture, just a spoiler alert. Um, You know, there's a very valid and very well supported group of individuals, professional organizations and politicians that are going to tell you that what you're seeing right now is happening by design, that our government is sort of allowing this crumbling system to consider, to continue to fail in order that privatization be presented as the next best alternative. So first of all, why are we overrun in hospitals? Why are we overrun in emergency rooms? So the first one is, you know, we can take a look at what's happening. Believe it or not, we got all, all the way back to long-term care. You know, we people have been raising alarm bells about this for decades. As boomers age, we knew we were going to need right. more space. Mm-hmm. That did not happen. People are living longer. So turnovers in long-term care, not to be crass, but that's not what it was. Next, we have a lot of people that don't actually want to leave their home or can't afford long term care. Yes, mm. some are government funded, but the waiting lists for those are very long and not a lot of people want that. So we needed better infrastructure for home care as well. That hasn't been um, implemented effect- effectively. So what's happening is you're seeing a lot of people coming into hospital suffering a life altering injury or an illness, but now they can't go home. So where are they supposed to go? We don't have room in long term care. We don't have room in assisted living. Home care isn't going to suffice. So they end up staying in hospital until we have a place for them and sadly have a pretty poor quality of life in, in that, in that time as well. Then if you look right. at our community supports, and that, that also includes family doctors because you asked about that piece as well, where do people go when they're sick? Unfortunately, they show up in Emerge. Okay, so now you have a department that was never built to address this kind of influx, trying mm-hmm. to manage people as we try and filter them t- through the system. Yes, we, we see them, we treat them, we assess them, we try to release them, but where are we releasing them to? And how long does it take for those supports to kick in? And I'm going to tell you where you see this all the time is in mental health health individuals arrive in crisis, they're dealt with in crisis, we arrange for community supports that either aren't enough or we can't accommodate them, and they land back and emerge. So we're overrun, we don't actually have, yes, the space, but then really what we're talking about here is, when we say we don't have beds, we're talking about we don't have nurses. And there's a couple different reasons for that, we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but the other piece I want to talk uh, talk on, or just um, really touch on, I guess, is the fact that the acuity level has gone up. So and by that I mean, how sick are people? Um, and and we used to see not a greater level of acuity; it was a lesser level of acuity, acuity. But now people are pushing the threshold of when they can stay at home, and by the time they arrive in, they're quite sick. They require more care, more specialized care, and nursing is a self-regulated profession. You know, so that's something to keep in mind. While a lot of organizations are rep by union. You know, if a case were to go to court because that nurse was left to, you know, defend their practice because they had too many patients as an assignment, for example, mm. you can't you can't take care of three critically ill patients in ICU. It's it's irresponsible. Who's gonna who's gonna cover me when I end up in, in court? And that's that is a huge piece of what's driving this. RNs and, and RPNs and PSWs and support staff in hospitals are, are not just overworked, they're under-supported. The infrastructure isn't in in, in place to support and promote safe and quality care, which is what we've all been educated and trained to do. So mm-hmm. there's a lack of respect, there's unsafe working condition, there are practice issues, patient issues, a lack of training, there's physical abuse that happens in hospitals all the time with no legal or criminal fallout. Um, and then you add the pandemic on top of this, right? Was was additional stress, you're having, you know, we had all this gratitude up front, then that quickly turned into protests, people outstanding outside of cancer clinics and children's hospitals yelling at people you know and so when you then factor in the part where our wages have been capped which is what happened with bill 124 you know you're definitely seeing this increased stress and um you know <laughs> i know you want another another question here so i'm not going to keep talking <laughs> but i mean <laughs> but you know this is this is another huge part of it too is like yes we're doing we we are now trying this new incentive to attract overseas nurses but i just want to highlight the fact that there's some huge Very obvious and not spoken about racial disparities that are underpinning that. What you're Mm -hmm. trying to do is attract people from countries where quality of living is low, wages are low, you get them to come here, you say, but look at how much we'll pay you. Okay, you get some little bonus incentive to come until they get here and realize you can't live off the same amount of money. We're offering this short-term incentive payout structure, but it's a short-sighted solution. So then what do we do if you don't have enough uh, nurses that are staff nurses by your hospital? You hire agency nurses. There are independent private companies right now that are doing this, and hospitals are paying those agency nurses two to three times what a staff nurse makes. So for sure, nurses are going to jump ship from the hospital, go take the money when they can from agency. But so this misnomer that our government has this surplus of money and we just can't find nurses, well, you're spending the money. You're just spending it really irresponsibly by paying people more than what was needed. If you gave people a fair wage, I think you'd see a huge uptick in in sort of what people were willing to do and, 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 um, and how they're willing to work. So,
2: wow. And, and again, it's just incredible it's when you see that misuse of the money, right? <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah. And it's That's very amazing. frustrating. It's very yeah. frustrating, mm-hmm. for sure.
2: Yeah. And when you see that misuse of the money, it, it's just crazy. Uh, well, then with some people leaving the, the profession entirely, in your opinion, what is causing, what is the cause? Like you said, you went over a lot there. And what's it doing to the people left behind?
6: Well, I mean, it's, it's exasperating an already very stressed out system. So there's a couple things that are happening. You are, you're really, you're asking for the most part, and I'm obviously trying not to be, but I'm a little biased on all of this, given what I do for a living, but you're asking people to practice in unsafe conditions. And then you're asking patients to accept subpar care, none of which is appropriate, none of which is appropriate. I mean, it's not just that the nurses shouldn't have to accept that, but as a, as a taxpaying individual, you should not have to say yes to this. Um, But you do, you don't have a choice. Right. So, um, you know, what's happening is we're seeing a backlog. We're seeing people who go to emerge, um, when they either, when they shouldn't, or they leave when they shouldn't, that's a huge thing that we're seeing. Sadly, we're seeing, you know, extensive wait times. We're seeing people dying or being sick that shouldn't be. Um, and the truth is we've already have a two tier system here. If you have money, you can pay for whatever you would like to pay for. If you don't want to wait for an MRI, you can drive to Buffalo and pay for one and you'll get it done tomorrow. So this whole idea that, you know, well, you know, if we just had to bring in this other system, it would be fine. Look at how much faster it would go. It is rooted in, in a popular, like that is rooted in individuals who will always have access because they'll always have money. Those that are marginalized already are only going to be further marginalized because they're not going to be able to pay out of pocket. So that means subpar care and or longer wait times, misdiagnosis, or worse, a lack of treatment. I mean, I've been seeing a number of articles lately, which is so sad of individuals that are, that are choosing MAID, which is medical assistance in dying, that yes. are choosing medical assistance in dying because they cannot afford to live with the chronic illness that they have they don't have the community supports for it they can't afford to have a disability pension that's enough to to pay them a decent enough wage to keep a roof over their heads and to keep those supports in place and so sadly enough the alternative which is to no longer be here becomes a viable option for these individuals and I think I've, I've read at least three of those articles locally sort of GTA within the past week And it's not only heartbreaking, but it is, in my opinion, completely unacceptable in this country. There's absolutely no reason that that should be your only alternative. Well,
1: because healthcare, free healthcare, maybe affordable healthcare, is one of the biggest blessings if it works uh for being here at all right so if you're saying Mm -hmm. we can't even deal with the way that things are going these days and have to turn to made uh that's that's um absolutely i I can't even put words to it that's unbelievable and it gets scary
2: when we're throwing money in the wrong places like leslie said over there paying triple and and, putting money back in the equation
6: yeah exactly Exactly. Well, that's just uh, it. It's not like the surplus isn't there, but where is it being directed? And no, I'm not a politician. And no, I don't sit there and balance the books. All I know is, mm-mm. you know, we all see, as as all consumers of news do, we see a $2 billion surplus or whatever the case may be. And then you have to ask the question, then where is it? Where's it going? Going. Yeah. And why isn't it going to a place where when the organizations that actually run these professions are telling you where we need them, mm-hmm. <laughs> why Why do you have, you know, why are you not taking the advice of the individuals that actually do it for a living? Politicians are so far removed from this to be able to tell me where, where your money is need to be spent in this complete misnomer about, hey, come and look at all the beds we have. We do not have a lack of furniture in this province. We have a lack of trained medical staff. So exactly. that's that's a huge discern like something to discern about as well.
1: Let's talk about that actually. So with the pandemic, aside from the acute burden on hospitals and frontline mm-hmm. healthcare workers, limited the training. Um, I'm I'm sure that this is creating a huge problem for medical students. Is there a backlog? Like, what's going on there? How do we know uh, mm-hmm. how
6: many nurses and other frontline staff will be available? Well it's a great question and I mean I know that they're trying to kind of come up with ways to fast track things we've we've adjusted education we've adjusted ways to move people through the system and well there's there is a degree of sense in that. You have to remember that, you know, as we chatted about at the beginning, as the level of acuity goes up with these individuals, shortcutting education is not the answer. The responsibility that befalls a frontline worker, if, so for example, if you work bedside in ICU or CCU, so these are critical care units, that's you don't just come out of nursing school and go there. You need additional education to be there. That's a whole other course on top of that. Then that involves being precepted and being coached through the piece. So, I mean... You know, as you say, where does that leave us? What are we going to do? Where are all of these people? You can only really move them so quickly through the process. So much of what you learn in nursing is done at the bedside. You can read a million textbooks. But, you know, I'd say it gets you about 75% of the way there. Most nurses would tell you it gets you about 50% of the way there. So much of what you learn happens on site. And it happens because somebody more senior with more experience is still on your unit. So when you start seeing 25, 30, 35 your veteran nurse is walking off a unit it's the blind leading the blind who else is left you don't want the nurse who's been there for one year to be your senior nurse who's training people. They haven't seen enough and it's not their fault. It doesn't make them a bad nurse. They weren't a bad student, but there's only so much you can, you have to experience things in order to, to develop clinical and critical judgment. And that's at the, at the heart of what nurses do, especially in an acute care setting, which is what hospitals are. That's an acute setting. In order to have that lens and have those skills needed to actually do the job to the best of your ability, you have got to have the experience. And so when you lose those veteran nurses away with them goes the experience and that is terrifying
2: yeah for sure yeah. leslie how can listeners support healthcare workers but also leslie what happens next if nothing changes
6: i mean if nothing changes that will end up introducing a privatized system like i said it already exists mm-hmm. so it's not surprising that'll get pushed people will die marginalized people will only be further marginalized People who can't afford to live are going to choose alternatives. Um, so, how can you support healthcare workers? Vote, <laughs> please vote. Um, you know, vote for a government that that has your healthcare system at heart. Um, vote for a government that has a good plan for how to use the surplus of dollars. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just telling you to vote as an informed individual, and hopefully with healthcare in the front of your mind um, when you do, because it affects all of us, and it's going to affect your long-term health for sure. Yeah. Um, if you are going to use the um, use our healthcare system, be patient. Say thank you. It goes a really long way. Take care of yourself. You know, so much of what we do here when we get to chat on the show is talking about, you know, developing your own resources and your own plans for a health and safety safety lifestyle. Please do that Um, and use your resources. Understand what can be dealt with at your GP or an urgent care center versus an emergency department. A hundred percent. If you need an emergency room, that is what it's there for. You do not hesitate for a moment. But if you can triage yourself, if you can speak to your GP first, if you can determine where you need to be and where you can receive the right care, it'll certainly help to alleviate some of that burden.
1: Leslie, this has been so much information. I encourage everyone who's missed any part of this to go back to the podcast and listen carefully. Thank you for taking part in this discussion with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Leslie DePoe is our registered nurse who joins us on the second Wednesday of the month, uh, giving us insight on all kinds of things, including the Ontario healthcare crisis.
2: And I really fedora's off to Leslie because as much as she's giving us information, as factual as she can be, you know, you've got someone there very affected seeing it around her all the time and uh, trying to be as impartial and just stick to the facts as she can. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, We'll be back in a moment. We'll flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with Grant Hardy in a moment. the pulse this thursday at 1 30 p.m eastern time 10 30 a.m pacific this week joita speaks to M- maya chuckoff about her podcast proud stutter and her journey as a studying a stu- stuttering excuse me stuttering advocate that's the pulse thursday at 1 30 p.m eastern 10 30 a.m sorry ten thirty eastern t- 10 130 Eastern. What is going on today? 130 Eastern, ten thirty AM Pacific on AMI Audio. Also available as a podcast. And you can catch it on YouTube. Uh Rumya. Okay, we'll get off of my butchering uh of, 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 of the announcements for the pulse and maybe you can deliver this urgent announcement a little cleaner, please.
1: Yeah, why not, Kells? There's so much going on right now, uh in preparation for World Sight Day, which is tomorrow, by the way. October 13th. I was going to say December, but it's not. Anyways, there's an urgent need for some participation in the report card. Uh, that is gonna be delivered tomorrow. There's a two-part report card on the vision loss um or sorry, vision health in Canada, commissioned by the Canadian Council of the Blind and Fighting Blindness Canada. So part one deals with the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on vision health in Canada. This was released in 2021. Now part two in 2022 is about the impact on COVID-19 on Canadians who are blind, deaf blind, partially sighted. uh released tomorrow. So it's going to be supported with a major media launch, and this is where this participation from the community comes to uh, comes to mind. They're looking for ambassadors for media inquiries. So people living with vision loss impacted in 2021 with missed or canceled eye appointments, missed treatments or missed procedures. If you're a person living with vision loss, a patient requiring vision health attention, or uh, any of the above, they want to know if your inquiries were met with a timely manner. If your needs were met, did you miss any appointments because of the pandemic? Did you feel safe going out publicly? Why or why not? And so these are some of the places. If you're uh, if you reside there or near there, they want to hear from you. Uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Kitchener, Hamilton, Ottawa, GTH, Toronto. Um, London, Windsor, Montreal, Halifax, Sydney, Regina, Saskatchewan, or Saskatoon. You can submit your name, a brief description of your experience, and your phone number, email, so your contact information, to Michael Belargen. He's the Senior Advisor of um, Government Relations and Special Projects for this project. You can contact him at 416 651 2012 or 2102. I'm gonna give you that again. 416-651-2102. You can also email him at AM B-A-I-L-L-A-R-G-E-O-N at rogers.com So this is the information and the kind of feedback and experience they're looking for. If you're interested, please give them a shout out because they want. Um, your uh, communication ASAP to put into this part two of the report card.
2: Okay. Well, maybe you can hang on to that. We'll give that out, out again just before the end of the mm-hmm. show, the contact. Let's welcome in Grant Hardy. And Grant is here for What in the World? We mm-hmm. compile a bunch of items together. Grant brings them to, to us. And uh, Grant, what do you have for us today to start with that makes us say, what in the world?
0: Yeah, what in the world? And, you know, hopefully uh, maybe have a couple of smiles after uh, the, the big news that we just heard about the healthcare crisis.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Our first article comes to us from the world of academia. More than 4,000 current and former law school applicants received the exciting news that they had been accepted to Northeastern University's law school last week. There's just one problem. The acceptance letters were sent out by mistake, according to the university. The university sent the erroneous email on Monday to a total of 205 current applicants due to a technical error, according to a statement from Northeastern University. Uh, The university also said that 3,930 applicants from last year also received the mistaken email. Admissions decisions will not be finalized until later in the academic year the statement clarifies and they are working on making sure something like this does not happen again i tell you what i i graduated from university it's hard to believe it's been almost a decade ago and every now and then i used to go online and like double check like do i really ha- do i really have this degree wouldn't it be crazy if there was some sort of a mistake and they realized like actually, we shouldn't have really granted you this, but, you know, we're going to have to go back and correct our record. So every now and then I would just log on just to, like, you know, see that completion status there. Uh, isn't that crazy?
2: <laughs> and it's amazing how it happens and how you do that, the habit you have.
0: Oh. Uh, ramia um, yeah, what do you think? Should they have had to, you know, admit these students...
1: I mean, <laughs> uh... <laughs> questionable. yeah, it's questionable. And as you said, because you check all the time, I wonder if other people do the same too, but yeah, it is questionable.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, another story out of the U.S. Uh, the U.S. federal government has sold off a rather inhospitable lighthouse in the middle of Chesapeake Bay for a six-figure... Some after a bidding war, the Hooper Island Lighthouse located west of Middle Hooper Island in Maryland's Dorchester County, at first drew little interest, uh, but it ended up uh, selling off for over 192,000 US dollars. Will Powell, a spokesperson for the U.S General Services Administration, told the Washington Post the lighthouse comes with one or two strings attached. The new owners must maintain it as a Coast Guard navigational aid, observe historic preservation standards, and sign a memorandum of agreement with the Navy about when it can be accessed. The Rusty Lighthouse, known locally as the Spark Plug, has an outer <laughs> ladder but doesn't have a nearby dock to moor a boat. And, you know, just for good measure, a 2019 inspection also found lead-based paint, asbestos, benzene, and other dangerous (laughs) substances. Boy, I feel ripped off. Like, how did I not get my hands on this lighthouse? Um, The spokesperson says this is a unique opportunity. Some people like lighthouses.
2: Well... And I like the Uh, whole business of maintaining it for up to the step. Remember, it's a um, uh, since it's its age. You you can't just go and yank it down and stuff like that. Despite the 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 lead, (laughs) like (laughs) and and maintain it as if you're going to say one day the government's (laughs) going to say. By the way, make sure the lights ready because you know we don't want ships running into the rocks around there. It it actually has a purpose. That is incredible, and it's true some people really like that stuff, right? You know, you, you you have the flashing light, you put a fog horn on it. Mm, I, like it's great. You you knew I was gonna bring oh, up the yeah. fog and the fog yeah, horn. Chesapeake Bay, <laughs> wow, that's topic. wild. Yeah. The 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 fog and the yeah. fog horn. What a what a what a wonderful sound.
1: And well, the light going round and round you know whether or not you love lighthouses if this was written in a way where it went from what 23 grand like it wasn't that the starting bit or something around that yes length, to
2: yeah that's what was it 190 is <laughs> exactly. what the final <laughs> exactly
1: yeah. for this yeah. unique opportunity well it's, so like... what it is, so
2: it's the property right people get the idea oh a rocky little island and i could go over get there and put this and here. that up. oh you can't tear it down what uh no no man sorry
1: I don't yeah, know. I, I, I wouldn't have read through the read between the lines for this no, one.
0: Uh, yeah, I I was watching like one of those court TV programs and mm-hmm. someone apparently bought a condo or something and there's a stipulation that the original owner had to use it as a vacation property a couple times a year. That mm-hmm. was like the most bizarre thing I ever heard of in real estate, but this has definitely eclipsed that where you had to sign a contract with the US Navy,
2: really? No, not not for me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, but when you're thinking of the price, right? And that's the whole thing, you can really cause you could you convince yourself, I can work around this. I can, you know, if they that that owner needs this place a couple of times a year, we'll just kind of you know, I'm sure they're reasonable. And I'm sure the US government, the Navy, is going to be reasonable about this rock with the uh, rusted out uh, ladder on the rusted out, you know, lighthouse. Sure. Oh,
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, All right. All right. Let's go a little bit more down under to New Zealand. This isn't completely far out necessarily. It's just one of those things that kind of makes you think. New Zealand's government on Tuesday uh, proposed taxing the greenhouse gases from farm animals like cows as a plan to tackle climate change. The government said the farm levy would be a world-first and that farmers should be able to recoup the cost by charging more for climate-friendly products. But farmers quickly condemned the plan. Uh, Federated Farmers, the industry's main lobby group, said the plan would rip the guts out of the small town New Zealand and see farms replaced with trees. Uh, Federated Farmers' president, Andrew Hogarth, said farmers had been trying to work with the government for more than two years on an emissions reduction plan that wouldn't decrease food production. Our plan was to keep farmers farming, Hogart said. Instead, uh, he says, farmers will be selling off their farms so fast you won't even hear the dogs dogs barking uh, on the back of the pickup truck as they drive off. Well, it is true that... Farms are a significant cause of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but do you guys think this is going a little bit too far, or is this actually reasonable as we enter an unprecedented era of climate
1: change? I mean, we were talking about this with Billy a couple uh, segments ago, and basically... My question is, you know, what's the solution around this, right? So if this is an actual thing and we're going to take it very seriously, uh, then where do we go from here? Do we just stop? <laughs> like it, I, I have no clue what to uh, assume would happen around this.
0: Yeah, it's weird to... I mean, it kind of comes down from this ownership of farms and livestock yeah, by yeah, humans, yeah. but it's all... someone's
1: often- going to take it.
2: Well, and how do you argue it, it, right? Like, well, you it you go into the and say, well, you don't know that my that that's an issue at my farm. <laughs> you don't know about the output, and you're if you are you charging me the right amount?
0: Yeah, it's just weird to charge for something that an animal literally cannot control.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's really just passing the the ownership like you said to who's going to actually be the one paying. And how do we determine how much that's going to be?
2: That's right. <laughs> Under what volume?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an interesting query that uh, Well, and then, report then report really and then
2: when does and then how shall we say when do the other involvement other animals get involved, you know, pig farms and so on. Why are you zeroing in on what primarily cattle really? Those poor ranchers. Uh, Grant, we have time for one more.
0: Oh, I wish I had uh, another one.
2: Uh, Uh, That's okay. I was gonna say, well, we'll we'll, make one up. Yeah. (laughs) It's just that kind of day, Grant. (laughs) What? I kind of want to know what arrangement you'd make if you had to share. Like if you bought the condo, I want to go back to that. If you had bought the condo, what would you tell <laughs> that that oh, that guy? Like, okay, so how many times a year? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm. How much notice are you going to give me when you're going to come in and basically make me go stay in a hotel? Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, you got to have that discussion before you spend the money, no matter how cheap to do it, right?
0: Yeah, I'll say, boy, I don't know a, a ton about sort of navy culture if it's sort of close to the military culture but i would imagine that the contract would be a little more on the side of like attention grant these are the dates when you need to make arrangements and pay for us to be able to have access to this lighthouse you better do this or else
2: i i like the fact that you got to keep it up you know, no matter what, first of all, get rid of that rusty ladder. Why would you leave that hanging around? Make sure the light's operational, and like you know all the stuff they could have done before they sold it to you and and made more money. No, 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 that's up to you, Mr. Hardy
0: yeah that's that's the idea. I wonder who's getting rid of all the toxic. I wonder, hey, here's the question uh while they're using this lighthouse. If someone gets in trouble with all the toxic chemicals and lead that is inside of the house, Mm.
3: could the
0: Navy then go after me for not removing those chemicals? Maybe that's what this is all about.
2: Past
1: employees. Especially after you paid your whopping 120 whatever grand. To
2: buy well, and the, the worst place. thing is you don't know how long this thing is sat empty. So even if it's not that, now that you have it, this is what you have to do. Like, what a way to, you know, scream in the, in, in the offices of the Navy, sucker! <laughs> Man. Grant, thanks a lot, pal.
0: All right, guys. Thanks.
2: <laughs> Grant Hardy. And of course, we were talking what in the world? poor grant said what in the world And i said okay grant you got one more what in the world? what yeah. do you think this is endless resource of of, of silly <laughs> what in the world comments good grief kelly uh folks we're going to step aside for a couple of moments paul daniel i'm hesitating even saying that in case he's not available or something like that it's just that kind of a day uh it's to come in and tell us what's coming up on now with dave brown we'll be right back Welcome back to the program, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show. Okay, so let me throw you like <laughs> out there again, Ram, would you please <laughs> go over our little item that we were talking about, urgency needed. We got this today as, a, as an email, ladies and gentlemen, stuff going on and uh, need your experiences and, and issues that you may have had with appointments, particularly Ram, when you when you talk about this uh, during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, this is a. They're releasing part two of this two-part report card on Vision Health in Canada, commissioned by CCB, Canadian Council of the Blind, and FBC, Fighting Blindness Canada. So if you have any um, experience that you want to shout out about and communicate regarding the COVID-19 pandemic on uh, your experience, whether you're blind, deaf, blind, partially sighted, have vision loss. So if you want to be an ambassador for some of these media inquiries and you had missed uh, treatments or opportunities at the hospital or you you know just found it unsafe to be in hospital environments etc cetera, etc cetera. there's a lot that they want to hear from you submit your name your description of the experience your phone number and email address to michael belarjan senior advisor at government relations and uh, special projects at 416-651-2102 Or you can email him, A-M-B-A-I-L-L-A-R-G-E-O-N at rogers.com. And remember, World Sight Day is tomorrow, October 13th. So you have tonight to get this message across.
2: Thank you very much for, uh, for just going over that again for the folks. I'd like to call Paul Daniel in now. Mr. Daniel, could you give us a preview of what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown? And welcome back to the show. Hey Kelly,
5: thanks. Uh, Tomorrow's show, Microsoft uh, earlier today uh, had a showcase where they unveiled a series of uh, uh, Surface laptops, and so uh, Sean Priest from Double Tap Double Tap will tell us more about them. And with Halloween around the corner, time sure flies. Will your home be inclusive? So treat accessibly provides tools to help uh, help people who are handing out candy to do just that, so that every child can have uh, a pleasant. Uh, Halloween experience. Karen McGee, our Central Canada regional development specialist, has that story, and Jenny Boulevard wants to share her working experiences as part of National Disability Employment Awareness Month.
2: Awesome, good, great lineup, sir. Lots of stuff going on mm. there. A lot of great uh, things on on the program. Beginning nine a.m. in the morning. Of, of course, available as a podcast. That's over on AMI uh, TV. And there's so many of these discussions, eh, Paul, out there that that are being had nowadays, and and, uh, you guys have just had such a wonderful lineup of stuff this week to make you stop, pull on that earlobe and say, hmm, yeah, that is something to think about. And as you said yesterday, that's what the show's all about. That's what we do, my friends, what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, pal. Take it easy. We'll talk to you later. Now, remember that, folks, you can find them as a podcast now with Dave Brown available on AMI-tv 9 a.m. in the morning. And Ramya, we do want to mention to people to go back, check out from our show via the podcast, which you can subscribe to, uh, Leslie DePose segment. Really a lot of information, a very serious issue going on across Canada, particularly in the province of Ontario with uh, ERs being closed and, and uh, just the health care crisis we're going through.
1: Yes, there's so much. And honestly, uh, Leslie, just in the first five minutes had expressed so much that I had no clue about. And in such a sincere um, and very difficult uh, way, or not the way she expressed it, but the context was so difficult to digest. But you know, this is what's happening, gals. And whether or not you're impacted right now or impacted directly, uh, this is a huge ripple effect it has yeah. a huge ripple effect on everything
2: and we are impacted now have of been course. and will be in yep. the future uh and again you you don't want to take away uh people want to hire somebody to help you with uh, with care and stuff like that you want that ability if you're able to do so at an affordable affordable rate but you also want the best care you can have and you can't be putting these health care providers in such a position like leslie said you know critical condition patients and you're putting three nurses on them just impossible to do really interesting segment Uh, rum enjoy have a wonderful night
1: thank you talk tomorrow folks
2: that puts a wrap on the program for today tomorrow as Rumya mentioned gardener Susan Kearney will be on the program with us and she'll be introducing us to the ground cherry a plant that she enjoyed growing this year Committee reporter Kim Kilpatrick will be on the program. She's going to highlight an upcoming workshop being run by Braille Literacy Canada on advocating for Braille. I know there's lots of people out there with different opinions about Braille, uh, how viable, and so on. Well, this is something that uh, those out there who are into Braille not into Braille, don't know a lot about it, hey, you may want to check this out. She'll tell us more tomorrow on the program. Also, we have the Thursday Buzz with Bill Shackleton. And joining us on this week's roundtable is uh, Huli McLaughlin. Of course, Danielle was with us on the program yesterday, and she'll be back tomorrow on the show. Uh, So he, of course, former Chief Science Officer with the Ontario Science Centre. Take care, folks. Have a wonderful night. I'm waving at you. One of the most beautiful things about our show is, you know, when you're having that off day and you're making those mistakes, and I I just had one of those days, you can be so honest, so open, you know, when you know I'm not focused right or something's going on my mouth is running in mud. As the old Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know, the roaster used to say, keep your eye on the ball, boy. And like that, it's just sometimes, you know, I'm not in the game here. I'm just, I'm just not. And some will say, well, you were off a couple of days. Well, came back in, worked with Danielle, had a wonderful show it just happens I've learned I've done this long enough now and of course spoke to more experienced broadcasters than myself who have said the same thing and you have to fight through it the wonderful thing having a co-host they can pick up the ball for you they know oh you're struggling today and yet you kind of Bring that energy and pick it up and keep things running, keep things on track and just help the person out. So uh, I'm blessed, though, with our program because everybody, we can laugh at ourselves. We, we know that, but we also are, try to be as accountable as possible and say, no, guys, I'm sorry, I'm struggling here. Focus, focus, focus and, and tell yourself that and chop, chop, chop. Come on here. What am I doing? Keep your eye on the ball, boy. And that's really where I get sometimes when I have those days that are a struggle. And some people will say to me, well, when do you have that? How often? Well, I think probably a real tough one every couple of months, but a regularly rough day once a week. Anyway, a little behind the scenes for you. Keep your eye on the ball, boy. Glad I'm off tomorrow. Join me every couple of weeks for the outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther
0: is available from your favorite podcast provider.